I was wrong. It has nothing to do with circumnavigating time. Nothing at all. Remember what you thought before you saw that ship over there? Alien contact, that's what you thought. Well, that's exactly what's happened to us. I thought you didn't believe in alien contact. Listen to me. Neither of you were home. That is not our ship. Those are not our bodies. We've been tricked. By whom? You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed our Valentine's Day episode involving uh, Tales from the Crypt, The Thing from the Grave. It was a fun uh, you know, detour, uh, as we call it here on the show. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know we took a week off because uh, Terry and I, we actually took, we, we, we took a retreat together. Just, you know, just we needed some time for us. That's what we needed. So we went to the cabin. Yeah, and buried then, a body. I, yeah, that too. Um, I stabbed some, like I, I cut some fingers off. We actually went and, um, <laughs> and we found the body of Miguel Ferreira, and then we buried it. No, that's not true at all. That gave terrible. him back his fingers. Yeah, we gave him back his fingers. Yeah, uh, no. Um, I, I uh, sent I sent Terry a pajama gram, and uh, and like, oh, uh, it was uh, it was great. So I, I was hoping that you would talk about that. It's so cute. <laughs> Uh, but now we're back getting back into the Twilight Zone. Uh, this is uh, season four, episode six, Death Ship. Uh, air date, February 7th, 1963. Number one song is still Walk Right In by the Rooftop Singers. Uh, number one film is still Lawrence of Arabia. I think that's going to be the number one film till like 1982. That's what it feels like at this point. The uncontested champion for a while so far. Until like Lawrence of Arabia 2, you know, Lawrence Harder or whatever it is. Brought you know? to you by Asylum. Yeah. Oh, my. We were talking a little bit about Asylum before we start recording. I, what, what do you? What's your overall opinion of Asylum? I think they're just they're there for cash. They don't give a crap about it's all schlock. It's all it's that's all they want. But schlock is I mean, trauma schlock. But they would they would always try sometimes. Well, that's not true. They wouldn't. There were some stuff that was original things they would do. Yeah, and they would actually have their own franchises. I feel like Asylum's always like, what's the name? We're just going to shake it up in a can. Oh, it's close enough. Let's just make a movie. Yeah. And that's what Transmorphers. Transmorphers. Titanic um, 2. Yeah, there was, um, oh, there was their Avengers thing too. It's, there's a lot of stuff that's they're just, just terrible. Hoping, they're hoping that somebody like is looking for something, accidentally clicks on it. You're like, well- I'm already watching it. Well, that that's true, but if you go, if you actually look at what the asylum took off, which which I also find frustrating because one of the people that founded that actually worked under Roger Corman, so they took the wrong lessons from him. <laughs> Not that I'm saying Corman made good films, but there's times he would try, yeah, and he would always try to stretch a budget. I think they took the the wrong lessons of like get a get a kind of name and then just get enough to get across the finish line and make your money. 
Um, if it wasn't for Blockbuster stepping in and being like, oh, we'll take some of these, Asylum would never would have taken off as a company. So I get frustrated because I worked for Blockbuster for a while, and as that, that ship was sinking, they helped Asylum rise up. And so I'm kind of, I have a lot of anger towards asylum as a company. I just, I hate that. It was like, like the grandmother that would come in and be like, well, that's, you know, snakes on a train. That sounds about right. And they just go rent it, yeah. you know, or transmorphers to fall of man or whatever. I just, yeah. I mean, I'm looking for a good time no matter what, but at, at the same point, I'm like, there's a lot of back log that i need to watch like films that are like 40 50 years old so it's like in comparison i'm like yeah I'm, i don't think i'm ready for this stuff yet like the only one i think i will watch and i've just not gotten to it yet is because it was part of uh the most recent whack of the mystery science theater like the gauntlet which was atlantic rim that's the one that <laughs> yeah. I, I will watch because they covered it but I just, yeah, that's, that's not the show. Uh, but I just, I just didn't know if you're gonna be like, you know what the asylum, you know, they do good work. I just, I would have to just keep my mouth shut. And then like, you just see like blood flowing out of the side of my mouth, the rest of the episode. <laughs> and then just be like, all right. And it's like, Paul, what happened? Uh, nothing. I just hated something away. Like it just, you just like part of my brain just burns out and be like, I'll never think of that topic again with Terry, but I'm glad that you're kind of like take it or leave it with them. Yeah. Like, I, 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 just, I can't do much more than that because I haven't, like, uh, here, here's me being a hypocrite because I haven't seen any of the films. Just I know from everything I have seen about the films and the production of them, I, I'm not interested. I, I watched one called Avengers Grimm. Um, this is for the other show I do, Invasion of the Podcast. Like this was years ago. And because I was kind of wanting to talk about the asylum effect. And that was like there, it was, they took like the grim fairy tale characters, but like did like Avenger stuff with them. And you had uh, Lou Ferrigno as like, Oh, I forget what he was, but he was like a silver guy. Like he was like, um, I don't know. Like I, I just forget the whole thing was just so horrible other than Casper Van Dien was in it for like, I'm like, you know, he needs some work. <laughs> like, yeah. What? That dude's still around. I mean, he's getting paid. I mean, you can't always get your, um, Oh, what was the name of, uh, the sci-fi series that I, this, I'm blanking on now, uh, with all the bugs that like the, the, the space Marines versus bugs. Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah. like you can't just have, you can't always cash those checks. Right? Yeah, right. So, yeah. It, it was Tarzan too. Where's that check at? <laughs> <laughs> so Casper Van Diem is not part of this episode. No. So uh, anyway, moving uh, forward, <laughs> I'm waiting for people to be like, you know what? I did like your guys' Twilight Zone stuff, but the moment you started sandbagging Asylum, I'm out. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's gonna be yeah. one angry person out there. But like, you guys don't appreciate the irony. Yeah, and, yeah. This is high art here. No, no, it's not. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get back to the '60s. So More hate cast. Uh, let's go back to the Lawrence of Arabia. That is not. There's not a sequel done by the Asylum, which would, if, you know, it'd just be like Larry from the Middle East would be what they would call the film. It's like, what's the sequel to Lawrence of Arabia? Larry, it, look, uh, Larry Laura. and Sands. It would you know, be like Laura from <laughs> Laura, Laura from South Arabia. You know, like, <laughs> South Central Arabia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Laura from South Central Arabia. They try to like make it like a Fast and Furious spinoff or something, right. you know. Like, yeah. Anyway, but, but just, anyway, so uh, day and date stuff that was going on around the time. Uh, so on February fifth, nineteen sixty three, Barnum Brown, a night he was ninety years old. He passed away. He was an American paleontologist who discovered the first documented Tyrannosaurus Rex remains in nineteen o two. Hell yeah, dude. 
That's awesome. That like, is so. It's cool. sad that he died, but it's like he helped bring dinosaurs into the thing, into like the the mind share. You the, know, like well, yeah, like the most memorable one for anybody. If you, like, I mean, especially if we were a kid and you saw Jurassic Park, that's what you remember about that film. Well, that it's like you know, could you imagine then? It's like you actually find the skeleton of this thing and be like, this existed. Yeah, like it doesn't make sense. It existed. Like trying to convince people. That's crazy. Yeah, well, there was like those kids that were walking through the park, uh, I don't know, like last year, and they found a, a woolly mammoth <laughs> bone. I was like, what? That's sweet. I want to be that guy. I want to Right. But with the whole thing of like dinosaurs, though, it's like this was this whole other world that they like. There, if you go back to this time, like nineteen oh two and like earlier, there was the whole big like dinosaur wars, like where the different paleontologists were fighting for like um, publishing. Like that becomes the whole thing of like, is the brontosaurus an actual classified dinosaur? There's a lot of debate about like the different types of, of dinosaurs from like that that size in that era that the Brontosaurus really isn't one, but that's the one everybody like thinks of, like aside from T Rex. Hmm. Yeah, there's a whole thing, but this guy actually discovered like the first documented T Rex. That's and that's he passed badass. Away. I used to want to be a yeah. paleontologist. Oh yeah, right? I think every kid like yeah. around the T or, like when uh, Jurassic Park came out wanted to be. Oh, everybody did, right? So yeah, he passed away two days before this episode came out. Um, so. Uh, it just makes me wonder if you watched the episode of the, the Odyssey of Flight 33, where it's the uh, the passenger plane that uh, passenger flight, like a commercial flight that actually ends up going through time, and they look out the window and see a stop motion dinosaur. I wonder if he saw that like two years before he passed away. I'm mean, like, that's factually correct. I hope that <laughs> was the case. Um, but anyway, so the seventh when this episode actually aired, uh, "Please Please Me" by the Beatles was the first single to be sold in the United States. Was released by VJ Records. At the time, only 7,300 copies of the record were bought. Uh, that would change very quickly for the Beatles in America. Yeah, I think they got a little bit big after that. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, like, are, are you a Beatles guy? I, I like the older Beatles stuff, like the the poppy stuff, like Help and you know, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. They, they only existed like as a band for like in terms of like the the mainstream, like what four or five years, like something like that, right? It was it? It was in terms of like them putting out their albums, like they weren't around long. Oh, but prior to like, like them blowing well, I mean, up. Yeah, I mean they did like the whole like you know Germany thing and like we're touring and stuff. But yeah. in terms of like them like becoming like the thing, like the first few albums they put, they only put out like what four or five albums, something like that. I'm not I, sure. This is just me. I I, I, I haven't. I, I saw the movie that was about like the biography film that came out like 20 years ago about them. Mm-hmm. It, it's been so long since I've watched it. It's just like when people have such a an af- af- affection for a band like them it's like i kind of taper off a little bit yeah because like people make them bigger than god and well i mean that's what john Lennon said right that they're bigger than jesus right yeah what we see what happened there um you can't are you applying that jesus shot john Lennon? no i didn't say that <laughs> <laughs> come at me bro um no i just i i'm not i'm not really... i mean the guy that shot him was named mark david like that's that's two of the gospels right there, mm. or the gospel of David. No, one of the gospels. David was in the Old Testament. Anyway, like, anyway, you know, yeah. yeah. So it's, I don't know. Like, um, it just like when people put uh, such a band on a pedestal, like I just kind of phase it out for a little bit. I don't know why. It's just something I do. Like I just don't want everybody to be bigger than they really are, and like get the notoriety that's like almost overpowering. It's it's weird for me. I don't know. I I like the Beatles, just their prior like their earlier stuff when it was a little i think a little bit more fun yeah so I mean, not I just, drug I just induced. looking it up here so we got this so bear with me here so we got um uh please please me which we just talked about 
Uh, I think that was an EP. Then we had Meet the Beatles in 64, Rubber Soul 65, Hard Day's Night 64. Um, so they put out two albums then. Um, Help in 65, Revolver 66, uh, Magical Mystery Tour 67, Yellow Submarine 69, and Let It Be 70. So I was wrong with my window, but it was still relatively short. So... Yeah, like so. As we go along here with day and date stuff for the Twilight Zone, we're going to get more Beatles information because it's just the way it kind of is. So that's what I got for day and date. Yeah, especially once they hit once they hit uh, America, they, oh, yeah. they blew up. I mean, that was the British invasion. So it, it is notable. It's notable. We need to talk about that because it gives you a time and place and like what people were really craving back then. Yeah, I, do, I mean, I, I I do like the Beatles a great deal. Like my my mom's a big Beatles fan, and I I kind of wonder if my name isn't because of that, you know? Like, but she was a big John Lennon fan, so I don't know why. I just I'm kind of confused as to why I'd be called that and like not named Ringo. Uh, but I I I do appreciate them. Um, I feel like I always kind of fall like I, I fall more towards their later stuff. I like their the way it gets weird. I think that's great. But when I think of like other bands from like you know Europe that are more me it's like like led zeppelin's more my jam like that's the best later than this stuff so yeah anyway that's either here or there yeah uh so i just i implied that uh terry wished john Lennon to be shot by uh by because of his defiance of god now we move on so now like- <laughs> don't don't let me be that guy don't paint me to be that villain be like the, the podcast is pretty good but the jesus like jesus terry started all talking about like all this jesus and john Lennon stuff i don't even know I'll, I'll take all the hate mail for hate nine asylum but i won't do i won't oh, take that hate mail yeah, okay fair enough all right let's get into cash and crew all right so our director on this was uh don medford yeah uh, he did four other episodes so he did uh, uh death's head revisited which you did watch yes and i i made you watch it for the episode we watched uh was it uh he's alive because he directed that one also and it dealt with nazi stuff yeah but, it yeah. was a really good episode yeah. so if you if you get a chance please go back watch that one so, yeah uh, the mirror not so good uh, and the man in the bottle. That is uh, that's another one that has a surprising Hitler Nazi connection. And and then the, this one has a connection with uh, one of our cast members, but yeah. a passage for uh, a trumpet. Yeah, passage for trumpet with uh, Mr. Jack Lugman. You're right. right. So I just want to point out that this guy also directed two episodes of Airwolf. I just think it's always worth noting. But yeah, this is the last of his uh, Twilight Zone episodes. And yeah, I didn't really see anything else that he he touched that I was like. I knew or anything like mm-hmm. that. He did a lot of shows. So, but a lot of TV. There's a film from 71 that I want to watch called The Hunting Party. Here's the, here's the the quick little recap of it. A ruthless rancher and his gang use extremely long rifles to kill the men who kidnapped his infidel wife. Oliver reads in it. Nice. Okay. I, that's so I'm sold the, the you know the, the alcoholic fireball that is Oliver Reed's in this Western in which they because the whole thing is that they're actually using like since this is Western they talk about these long rifles like they're like longer like long range sniper rifle type of not not sniper rifles but it sounds interesting yeah yeah I'd be willing to watch that especially yeah. I think that uh, he was a good director for these episodes the mm-hmm. ones that I have watched at least I, I think he has a good eye for everything so I'd be interested. So, and then our writer, uh, Richard Matheson, comes Which back. We just talked about with Mute. Um, I think this is a much better outing for him. Yeah, uh, but it's in his wheelhouse a little bit more. Again, Matheson's probably like um, the sec, sorry, third most uh, pro- um, prolific writer of the Twilight Zone behind Serling and Charles Beaumont. So, and again, if you guys don't know Matheson from the from here, uh, throw a dart, you'll find 
everything else he's done. I think we've talked a little bit about that. Like, you know, just duel, uh, somewhere in time. Um, I don't know what, what dreams may come. Yeah. The, the Matheson's amazing. Uh, the Omega man. Yeah. Um, or I am legend. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, he's incredible. Um, definitely. We could talk at nausea about him again, but we have already have done that. So. I, I would, I think it'd be fun down the road to, to cover duel. I would love to talk oh, about that great, film. It's a great film. I saw it for the first time about a year ago, and it's, it's, it's incredible. For a made-for-TV movie, that thing is tense as all get out, right? Dude, like it has balls for yeah. a, a movie like that they put on TV. Like that, it's such that the suspense that's being built through that entire film is. Yeah, is I think it'd perfect. be. I think it'd be worth getting into some of that. And I love. I love Steven Spielberg. So perfect. Uh, I just want to mention that um, the the some of the score, a lot of this was stock. However. It's stock from specific things like Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, he did the original score for the episode back there, which is a season two episode where we had the professor from Gilligan's Island going back in time and trying to stop the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Not the best episode, but the score is haunting. Like it is like when you heard the harpsichord stuff in this episode, that's from back there. Yeah, um, see, now I loved it, and I was I pointed this out to my wife. I was like, it just melt, made the episode feel a little bit more gothic. Oh yeah, um, and that music had been used also previously. It was written specifically for the episode back there. It was also used in To Serve Man, like that weird harp harpsichord. It's like it's so good and haunting, you know. Yeah. Like like there's the bit in this episode where they do like the kind of slow movement over the ship, and you hear that, and it's like nothing feels right. Right. They, it's such good music you know it, it definitely fits the mode but maybe not the time like it because it just like i said it feels gothic to me so but it, it just it is haunting i mean in a lot of ways this is a ghost story yeah. so like I, i'm okay like if you're going to give me good music on a tv show i'll take it and just listening to it again just made me happy to know that this is being plugged in and like there's other times where stock music is brought in two episodes of twilight zone where it's like yeah it fits but i don't know I will never say no to the score from back there showing up in the Twilight Zone. It is it is awesome. Yeah, it was it was cool. It really put me on the edge of my seat a little bit more because it just it put me in a mood. Then, like it, it instantly put me in that mood when I started hearing that creepy, eerie oh, music. It's, it's really good. Yeah, I, I think that's what a good score can do too. It's just like it it really encompasses everything it, else. It's supposed to just a a great score. Um, you know, how do how do I describe this for me? Like. It can define like a tone for a film, but like the best ones, it all kind of like weaves together to where when you think about something that you love, it's like you like you will think about the music, but because you think of the music, you think of the imagery. Like talking about Jerry Goldsmith, um, you know, like and I know I made the mistake on the episode of Back There by being dumb and saying, yeah, he ended up doing Star Wars later. That's not true, mm -hmm. but like Superman and like Star Trek and like there's great things that he's done, but like you think of like. Um, I don't know. Um, one of my favorite movies of like the past, like 15 years is like inception and you can't not think of that score with Hans Zimmer, you know, like it just gets in your head and like, there's just so much there that like, this is, it just accentuates Yeah, and it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, he, I feel like, um, in this situation, like somebody like of his caliber is overshadowed by John Williams and that, and, but he has an amazing catalog and he definitely is a very very talented composer yeah so look up his stuff like it's great i i honestly i it was like one of those situations where it's like you don't know how much this guy has been uh, an influence on your life until you look at everything he's done <laughs> yeah it's um, crazy it, it, it's like and I, I always talk about like 
you know, if you love something kind of like drill a little deeper and, and find the people behind the things that you love. Cause then you'll be surprised at like how much that probably has informed your love of something, but also it might branch you out into other things. Like I will, I will openly admit as much as I was aware of, you know, Ennio Morricone, just because the good, the bad, the ugly and the thing score, which right. is amazing. The more I keep like, like wandering out into like all the, like the waters that is because the guy is prolific. I've been going out of my way to want to watch movies because I know he's done the score now. Like, and I keep finding not all of his stuff is great, but like the stuff that hits is amazing. And it's been like this treasure trove of finding more and more. So yeah, like if you guys like the music here, just, just go find more Goldsmith stuff. Yeah, There's some deep amazing dive things. Because you're oh. going to have fun. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, so, uh, and then we get into a cast of uh, Jack Klubman. Um, he plays Captain Ross. Um, he also was in, uh, what's it? This is his third of uh, four Twilight Zone appearances. Yeah. He was in A Passage for Trumpet. Uh, and then um, the season three episode of Game of Pool with him and Jonathan Winters, which was one of the best episodes of that season. I liked Game of Pool a great deal. I love Jack Klugman. I love him. I think he's great. Um, I think that he did as good as he could with a lot of the dialogue in this episode, but yeah. I think he leaned in into this, and I liked. I liked. I, I I like him as a performer. The way that he presents the character really works for the storyline. Yeah. Like, and and we'll we'll unfold all of that, but he really does play a good role. I yeah. think he's actually, I think he's pretty stellar in this. Yeah. I just, I just feel like some of the character decisions in the plot betrays him as yeah. an actor, but uh, I, I like Jack Klugman and I, I was under the impression that he shows up in all five seasons of the twilight zone. Um, I was wrong. Cause uh, you know, I guess he didn't show up in the second season, uh, but he, he's like, I just know from reading about him previously that he had such a great time and believed um, in the process, because uh, a passage for Trumpet was like an, an early mid-season first ep- first season episode, um, and he liked like just the atmosphere because Serling treated a lot of the stuff very seriously, and he gave the actors like ability to kind of like figure things out. Anytime he was given the opportunity to do this, Twilight Zone, he just said yes. So I liked his ability to be like, I had I had a great time. I believe in this. I will do it every single time. Like I, Jack Klugman's great. Yeah. And he, he comes back in season five as well. So Good. we'll uh, look forward to that. Yeah, that'd be so. great. But um, yeah. And then so more notable things we have talked about him before, but may as well bring it up real quick. Uh, he was in uh, he was in the odd couple. Yes. And then Quincy M.E. Yeah, that was his big thing. He actually ended up having a throat cancer about like a little later in his life. And he ended up uh, he ended up getting this like raspy voice because of it. But it's like. It's it's very distinct later, but it never stopped him from performing. Um, but I just yeah, like I like Jack Lugman. Yeah, he's good. He he he's a solid actor, honestly. And then so then we have Russ uh Russ Martin, and he plays uh Lieutenant uh Mason. Yeah, he was previously this is the second of two Twilight Zone episodes. So we saw him previously in the season one episode, The Four of Us Are Dying, which was an early episode. Uh, and he was mainly known for being Artemis Gordon on the Wild Wild West. So yeah. that was his big mainstay. Yeah, 104 episodes yeah. on that one. That's and all I remember about that show was that the the intro was animated. So like I'd watch cartoons in the morning. And then when it got to showing like reruns of Wild Wild West, I'd be like, that's a cool intro. And then I'd turn it off because I had no interest in the yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. TV Westerns, like I, they were big in my house because of my grandpa. My grandpa watched all kinds of stuff. And it's like, I don't think he watched Wild Wild West, but 
I know of it. The premise of this was more supposed to be like, what if James Bond existed like in the wild, wild west? So it's like, he always had like his, his, like his uh, passenger car, like on the train, he had his gadgets. So it was more of like an adventure. So that much I know. Yeah. And then one day Will Smith would make a movie that no one wants to talk about. And so we move on. (laughs) So, and uh, yeah, on top of that, he, he was in some other shows, a, a modern romance. He was on 60 episodes of that. And uh, Mr. Lucky, which was 34 episodes. So he was a big TV guy. So I didn't know him from anything otherwise. But I just, what, what was Mr. Lucky? I mean, I know we didn't, we're not going to know, but it's like, is it just him just like, like, like falling bass backwards in the things being like, ah, it worked out. Yeah. Just call me Mr. Lucky. Like, you know, it's like uh, the uh, Mr. Uh, like a Mr. Bean. Mis- yeah. Or Mr. Magoo. Or yeah. it's just like, yeah. Or was he more like he was a spokesperson for like Lucky Strikes where he just went around like selling cigarettes to everybody? It's like, oh. it's call me Mr. Lucky. Oh, you know, like, that, that could be cool. I mean, it was like a precursor <laughs> to Mad Men. And he just has he just has like a like a young like sidekick that has like the deepest voice ever. Like <laughs> like Harvey Firestein, where it's just like, <laughs> it's just like, I'm 12. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no give me more cigs mr lucky like okay jeez oh, <laughs> anyways so, uh and then we have uh fred beer uh he was lieutenant uh carter uh, this was his only appearance on twilight zone um here drop drop the big knowledge i know you got it knowledge bomb for everybody hawaiian eye it came four back. episodes yeah, four episodes I saw that yeah so yeah. Hawaiian it, four eyes right we there. We didn't have one last time. You know that? Yeah, I know. It's it's it happens. We I, run into these dry I was spells. Ashamed. Yeah, like I when I, when the, the mics were off, I was like, I failed everybody. <laughs> I failed you. But and then um of course I had to mention this because I'm a huge fan of the Munsters. He was on an episode oh, of the Munsters. Good. Perfect. Uh, I was going to say, I wrote a lot of TV work. Not much popped out to me, but I'm glad you picked up the Munsters. Yeah, I so, love yeah. the Munsters. Adam's family and Munsters. That's my jam. So, um, so yeah, then we had Mary Webster. Uh, she plays Ruth. That is, uh, that was, uh, the wife of Mason. Yes. So, and then, so this was her only appearance on Twilight. No, uh, she actually was in the second, since her second oh, one. I'm sorry. Duh. She was also in a passage for trumpet. So I just, not that like, yeah, debut Terry. No, I can't like, read my words. No, no, this is um, this is one of her man. last actual acting roles. Um, but it wasn't like she she like um, with, she passed away in 2017. So it isn't like she had like an early demise. She just kind of like stepped away from acting. Yeah, after I noticed this. that too. I was like, it was like, uh, but 64 or something like that. That was like her last acting credit. Yeah, and then that was it. And yeah, was like, okay. She's I mean, like, she had a good she's look like, for her, yeah. Know, she's t- like, I got to make, uh, I got to just make this picnic lunch with all this chicken, and yeah. that's it. You know, yeah. I, maybe there's there could have been something like, you know, she just needed to walk away from. It. Like, do you get that? Who knows? A lot now no, no, it happens. Yeah, yeah. There's just sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so then, um, yeah. Then we had Ross Elliott. Uh, he plays Kramer, and uh, one other episode he was in praise of Pip that we will get to in season five. Yeah. Also another Jack Klugman episode. Yep. Uh, he was uh, on two episodes of Hawaii Eye. Yes, I saw that too. And uh, he was in Tarantula <laughs> and uh, the Beast from Twenty Thousand Phantoms or Phantoms, which that's an that was pre Godzilla in the U.S. Right? That was an early, um, early. Oh, what's the name of the stop motion guy? Um, 
shoot Harry Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, that was an early Harryhausen yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. So I love Ray Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, but that was before Godzilla in the U.S. If I remember right, the Beast a, from Twenty Thousand. It's a fun film yeah. too. I remember watching that as a little kid. I was like, "This is so cool." Um, I don't know what you got for him. I have uh, the the Virginian. He was on sixty one episodes of that. So okay. he yeah, has two hundred and sixty one car- uh, credits. So so um. Following Variety Show and Summerstock work, Elliot became a member of Orson Welles' Mercury Theater and played minor parts on Broadway and blah, 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 blah. He was also part of the notorious War of the Worlds broadcast in 38. Nice. So working for the Mercury Theater had to have been interesting just because Orson Welles was pushing boundaries. And he basically was like saying, yeah, it was a weird time, you know, but he was part of War of the Worlds. So I thought that was cool. I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, that's kick ass. Yeah, considering he's like, uh, you know, that he he isn't in a UFO, but he's in an episode with a UFO. Yeah. Good connection. Yeah. So and then we have Tammy Marithel or Mary Mary Hugh. Yeah. M- Marihu, yeah. Marihu, yeah. <laughs> uh she plays the little girl uh Jeannie. Uh that's uh that is what is it, Mason's daughter. daughter yeah. yeah. Uh, this is her only Twilight appearance. Um, and she was also the most notable thing I noticed was cause she had a sm- uh, really small career as well. Um, but, um, the wonderful world of the brothers Grimm, so, hmm. it was a movie. So. That sounds like an asylum film that I saw. That's mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, probably, case, probably you know. a remake. Um, I have, I have some notes about her. Um, are you ready here? We talk about the Hawaiian eye being a mind blower. Um, the, this one's going to just leave you like flat footed. I promise. Like it would not be strange highways. If I just can't find a way to incorporate sudden and inappropriate violence into an episode. Right. Oh, okay. After I'm, leaving. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this, this is on the level of finding out that the robot and, um, the robot pitcher and the mighty Casey went on to murder somebody like the mm-hmm. actual actor that, if you watch that whole episode, you're like, this, this robot's good natured. That actor will literally kill somebody later in life. Uh, so um, after leaving acting, Tammy became an exotic dancer. Oh, uh, and by the late 70s, she was a dancer in Vegas. She eventually married a bodybuilder by the name of Rodney Larson, uh, 10 years younger than her, who turned out to be a violent and abusive husband. In March 6, 1996, after a night of heavy drinking, uh, Tamara, as she was known then, uh, arrived at home and shot her husband in the back. She pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter in September 97 and was found guilty but given probation. Wow. (laughs) I did not expect all of that. I'm just going to throw one of these out here right now. How do you rate that twist? Uh, That's a five. I'm going to give that a five, dude. That's awesome. Dad, I looked all over for you. I almost shot you in the back. (laughs) That is crazy. I did not expect any of that. Yeah, that's that's wrong. (laughs) And the last person I had here was Sarah Taft as Mrs. Nolan. She was only in Twilight Zone. This is the only episode that she was in. I didn't have much for her. She was literally in it for like uh, 30 seconds. Yeah, like, so that's it. Yeah. So that's that's our cast and crew. Uh, a lot of interesting connections to Hawaiian Eye, and one of them would shoot a bodybuilder later in life and get probation. So there we go. <laughs> All right, let's just get to this early intro. This is a weird one because it's a two-part thing. I, I did put it together. Uh, so it is a little long to just tuck in, and when we'll get once he gets done talking, we'll talk about Death Ship. Picture of the spaceship E-89, cruising above the 13th planet of star system 51, the year 1997. In a little while, supposedly, the ship will be landed and specimens taken, vegetable, mineral, and if any animal. These will be brought back to overpopulated Earth, where technicians will evaluate them and, if everything is satisfactory, stamp their findings with the word inhabitable. 
and open up yet another planet for colonization. These are the things that are supposed to happen. Picture of the crew of the spaceship E-89. Captain Ross, Lieutenant Mason, Lieutenant Carter. Three men who have just reached a place which is as far from home as they will ever be. Three men who in a matter of minutes will be plunged into the darkest nightmare reaches of the Twilight Zone. I'd just like to point out that this was in the far off future of 1997, which is a year after the far off future of Escape from New York. I was just going to say, I was literally just going to say. And this is why we're friends. Yeah. Because <laughs> it starts off, Escape from New York is like 1996. Now, right? Is that what it starts? So it's right. like 1997, a year after now. Like, <laughs> yeah. So start us off. Like it's the night, it's 1997. Um, you know, um, Pearl Jam's doing pretty good. Like, what's going on? All right, so we're we're making our way to a, a distant planet so. where slap bands have not happened yet. So, uh, slap what? <laughs> slap bands. You remember slap bands? Slap. Ba- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, they, they were like the piece of metal. They they had like the fabric, and you could just hit your wrist and it like around it. Yeah. And then people would be like, "These are pretty cool." And then the fabric would wear away and just cut your wrist. Yeah, that's a '90s thing. Yeah. yeah. I, okay. I was okay. like, "What the hell are you even talking about?" <laughs> like, there was that. Like, I want to forget, man. We didn't have the bit where Jack Klugman's like, "You don't wear my slap bracelet." <laughs> like, yeah. I, I do. I definitely remember. I'm that. the captain. And you pogs. Wear the, you wear this. Yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> They're playing playing pogs. It's like for slammers. It's like, you know, like that slammer is mine. Why won't you listen to me? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're approaching this uh, alien planet, um, and the crew. Uh, they're kind of doing their little projects and that, and uh, Mason's looking at like what is like a surveying of the of the grounds of the planet, and he he catches a glimpse of something that's shiny, and he, he calls Captain Ross over and he says, "Hey, I saw something that glittered here. Um, we might we, there might be something down there we can see," and Ross says, "Oh, it's probably just the water," you know. He's like, "No, seriously, like let's let's get back around and we'll check it out again," you know. So they look. And of course, it is something that catches their eye out of the wooded area, and they decide that they're going to go ahead and check it out a little closer. Which I find funny because if their whole goal is to survey plants to find out if it's you know habitable because the Earth is overpopulated, Ross is real hesitant to ever land to verify. That seems weird to me that his that's his job, and is like hesitant to start. And, but but they immediately jump on like Mason's like we should go check it out and Ross is like you think it's aliens don't you and he's like well it could be and then Carter <laughs> the actor plays Carter I give him credit because he, he he does good with what he does the character waffles between being like an idiot and like sympathetic I don't yeah. know <laughs> he's just like what's going on it's like oh hey Carter did you were you over there like gluing your hands together for a second. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's like, he's like aliens. Yeah, he's like, I love Mac and me. It's like Carter, just stay away. It's fine. We're gonna go investigate. Go back to your ball of yarn. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they decide that they're gonna go ahead and check it out further, and they uh, begin their landing process. So, uh, so yeah, uh, and we get Rod's intro. Which I mean, we got. I I just got to throw out there. Where would you have liked to have seen him in this? Uh, honestly, if they if they weren't in plain view, those seats, those weird like seats that were 
cut specifically yeah, they, for their yeah, bodies. Yeah. He's just like leaned back in it and he just leans forward and it's like gives the intro. That well, would have been cuz that's the first part cuz actually the, the episode starts off with the first part of his narration. Then we meet everybody and then they go to land, right? It's like and then we get to what they see. Yeah. And um, so I just want to mention the reclining chairs. I'm like, I just want to say to people, that's what we podcast in. Like, I want you to imagine like that, that weird cutout thing. Like we just lean back and those we talk. It's pretty, it's pretty great. It's form fitting. Like, yeah. We, we vacuum seal that in before we start recording. Um, but I want to say, <laughs> but as they're landing, uh, Ross says air spring. And he, and like, so, um, so Mason goes over and starts fiddling with some dials, like to like, like landing the way he says it so fast. I thought he called Mason an ass brain. I'm like, that feels about right for the rest of the episode. He's like, ass brain. He's like, okay, let me go touch like knobs. Um, but they land on the planet <laughs> and then they find, uh, they find a crash ship and there's like this big music cue. And then that's where we have Rod's second part of his intro. I would like to see him kick open the door of the crash ship and just come out and start talking. I think that would have been amazing. That would have been pretty sweet too. I mean, I would have taken it, but I just think it would have been hilarious if the like the seat just like came back from the reclined position. It's just and very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Been, oh, that would have been good too. But yeah, I would have loved. Why? That. Why, why couldn't we have been a part of this? We, we would have made it so hilarious. Or like, well, did you notice like the geography of the ship doesn't make sense sometimes? Where people are opening doors and like entering from rooms that that don't really exist. Yeah. Like off to the right, there's like clearly an area that's supposed to be like a staging area, but you look out the window and it's like, it's like, it shouldn't be there. And then there's the weird crew chambers. Like there's this whole weird geometry to like this, like UFO. Well, it's not UFO. It's a flying saucer, but it's an earthling flying saucer. So I'd, I would love, yeah, you're right. Either him being in the chair or him just like walk out of a random, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> or tap on the glass. Like, can I, can I get my intro? Like, like uh, he does like a little look through the, one of their little peepholes there. <laughs> he just sees eyes and like some cigarette smoke wafting up <laughs> as he's talking. Like, like whack-a-mole style. He just popping his head up. <laughs> Damn it. That would yeah, have been amazing. That so, been, that, that's the winner right there. That, yeah. right, anyway. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, they find this crashed ship and it's like, uh, um, so you have, uh, you have Carter, Sorry, Carter. Captain Ross, which we get the vibe from, uh, like, before they land. He's, like, shooting down, like, Mason and Carter, like, no matter what. He's the captain. That's three-man crew. He's the one in charge. Right. Um, and then I also, like, as they're, like, trying to, you know, figure out what's going on, like, they click on all the stuff. It's, like, the future is just full of weird sci-fi noises. Like, everything is a sci-fi noise. And, and yeah. buttons that don't look like that they do anything, but apparently they do everything for the <laughs> ship. And yeah. Yeah, and my, there's my wife hates that. Yeah. She hates all kinds of crazy buttons. I, I can't watch Alien with her because of all the buttons. Yeah, I just <laughs> there, there's. I mean, I get that there's a certain amount of like you got to kind of suspend disbelief because it's you know, you're watching a movie and you got to hear some stuff. But yeah. there's times where it's like, I don't know. I, I like it. Just sounds like you're dropping a transistor radio. Are we good? You know, because um, there's some noises that show up here that we've heard already in this season. It's just like we get it. Science is weird. You space know, space stuff. We, yes, space stuff. Um, so, uh, there's a bit where you have, uh, uh, what was it? Um, Ross, like, like, uh, challenging, or I should say Carter's challenging Ross, not Carter, Mason. Yeah. There's only three people, Paul. Come on. Mason's <laughs> like, kind of like, he's like kind of gung ho and, uh, Ross is kind of like pushing against him. And he was like, if you get like cocky like this, you're going to make mistakes. I just like the line of like, have I made mistakes? He's like, well, no. He's like, well, let me know when I do. That was a pretty good line. Yeah. I like that line. He's he's pretty abrasive, uh, but yeah. at, at the same point, it's like he doesn't seem like he 
has the kind of like attention control like that they deserve as a yeah. captain. Like he has like I don't know. He just seems flighty in certain ways, but then in other ways, he just seems like he's just too abrasive and like a pain in the ass to work with. He's like a micromanager. It's, I don't know. Like, no. uh, it's just again, I like Klugman and I get what they're going for because he was supposed to be very analytical and like what's in front of him, but that doesn't always stick to what he says, right. you know. But I get the vibe, you know. So, so, yeah. so yeah, so they uh, they take some schem- well, like next schematics, but they take some um control they take some readings of the atmosphere yeah. they're like we should go out check out the ship they put on their space suits which i thought at first i was confused by what was going on in front of them mm. like they have this weird thing that's like hanging out in front it's their gloves but i'm like well you're on this alien planet why wouldn't you put your gloves on like yeah. you're also going into a ship you don't know you i don't know about the i don't know about the future 1997 but tetanus is still a thing maybe maybe don't get space tetanus yeah I don't coronavirus know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's years away you know, <laughs> from 1987, but I still feel like if you're going to go to a ship you don't know, put your gloves on. This seems also your helmet. You don't know, even if you can breathe the air. That seems like Spaceman 101. Well, and there's uh, they don't even know about the creatures that uh, uh, you know, yeah, command this planet. Like they, they could go out there and instantly get killed by something. <laughs> like a brontosaurus that exists there, but not on Earth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've, seen too many, I've seen too many movies with monsters in them. So I'm all about getting a gun and taking it with me. Yeah, I mean, but also it's like you don't know about the fauna. Like you, maybe you have an allergic reaction to a plant you don't even know about. Like right. I know we're overthinking this because we've been we we have a um, more foundational education in terms of like some of the stuff and we're more aware. But at this time, it's like, yeah, it's a plant you don't know. Put your helmet on. Put your gloves on. It's fine. Yeah. You know, thankfully that doesn't ever come into play. Where it's like, you idiots, you put your helmets on. But yeah, please. So anyway, so we, uh, we, they decide that they're going to go ahead and take a closer look at the ship. So they get out and they go and start inspecting the ship. And the ship is really, really rough. I mean, it crash landed, but there's this gigantic ho- a hole in the side of the ship yeah. as well, like a, big enough that they could actually walk through it. So they get inside. They get into a room that. I'm not even sure what the hell that room was, but there's a room that they enter in and there doesn't seem to be anything in there other than carnage. Everything is just like busted up and fallen down. It's the same. It's the actual same control room. That's the same one in their ship. Because if you think about like the geography of it, well, they the, they the, enter in through that doorway. Though, they do, and, and there's there's a bit there. You're right. And then when they come in, it's like, and you have Mason and Carter being like, "Well, look at the way the ship's constructed. This is Earth, like an Earth ship." And, yeah. And Ross is like, "You don't know that." And it's like, it's like, what are you saying? He's like, "Well, spaceship construction could be like universal." He's like, he's like, then Mason's like, "Are you saying that like aliens could build the ships the same way?" It's like, it, you can tell that Ross is kind of trying to like hand wave away what's obvious right the entire time and and still maintain the control over the guy's thoughts uh, in some sense assert the leadership right so anyway so they find a door and um mason's he is gung-ho about trying to get that door open so him and uh carter they start prying the door open and ross is just like ah just let it go and he's like what do you mean let it go he's like dude we need to see what's going on behind this door so after a little bit of effort, they finally get the door open, and it is the command yeah. area. Yeah, you're right. So, um, and it's all beat up in there. They, yeah, the black and white of this and being shot on film really helps it. Yeah, it really sells how spooky it is. It yeah, yeah especially when they enter into the ship at yeah. first. I'm like, dude, this is gonna get real 
fast. Well, considering when we watched the the was it thirty fathom grave or whatever it was, it's like they end up in the sub. Mm-hmm. That those aren't unrelated, you know. Like it's there's something about black and white that just makes things like feel weird. I know. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I, I there's plenty yeah. of films now that still hold up to me because of the black and white. Like the the darks are so dark and so creepy. Like Night of the Living Dead is one of my favorite oh, films yeah, of yeah, all time, yeah. and it achieves that so well because it's in black and white. So, anyways. So we're in the we're in the 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 larger room, and they upon further investigation, they see that there are three bodies against the wall. <laughs> yeah. So before they entered the ship, what like I, I know we're kind of backpedaling here. Like when you were like you you have your antenna up watching the show. Like was there ever any doubt that this was going to be their ship? Like when you're watching it, it, it started to lead that way for me a little bit. Okay. Um. But I honestly. I thought that maybe that there was a ship that they didn't get in contact with, like almost like an alien. Okay. Like there was a ship that sent out a distress signal of some sort, and like the aliens rather, and that they finally get to the planet, and there's some carnage that they didn't know what had unfolded. Fair enough. I thought that there maybe could be a monster on the other side of that door, a replicant yeah, or I something. Just, you know. I had a suspicion because the the episode's called Death Ship, and they're coming across. So I'm like, it's gonna be them, isn't it? <laughs> and then. It's 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 them. The three bodies are them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What? Well, yeah, they turn over the bodies, and it is the same exact bodies of them. There's a weird match action cut of Mason looking at himself, which I get that they couldn't pull it off, but he goes to like pull the shoulder, and so you see Mason, and then the camera moves upward, and it just does this weird like cut to the actor again, like looking in shock. Yeah, and that that, that didn't work so well, but there was a lot of great split screen stuff that worked really well. Of, you could tell that the actors were staying on their sides, but that stuff worked for me. Yeah, they could have kept it at that, and it would have worked. It would have achieved exactly what they were going for. Yeah, because we already saw in um in his image that they're able to do this well, and it worked well. Um, but yeah, they find out that all three of them are like I, I like that. <laughs> As they're figuring this out, it takes them to turn over Jack Klugsman's body for them to be like, it's all of us. It's like, I don't know. The first one's Mason. The second one's Carter. Who do you think the third one's going to be? Tony Randall? Like, what do you think's going to happen here? It's like, (laughs) it's like, that is an odd couple. Like, what do you think was going to happen there? (laughs) You know, like. Well, oh, it's Hawkeye from MASH. Like, what? Like, yeah. I don't understand. It's Rod. He's the third one. He turns over, cigarette and mouth, be like, hey, guys, this is pretty screwed up, isn't it? This is the episode. You know, like, that would have been sweet. <laughs> and we would have had a, a cigarette in this episode. But well. I like that, like, uh, it was a Mason, like, sees that it's hit, like, it looks like him, but then he goes to pull an identification card out of his pocket. It's like, it's like uh, I wrote my notes. Maybe the dead guy that looks exactly like me has the same identification card in his pocket. <gasps> he does. And he <laughs> he's like dun, he, has, dun, dun. he holds it up side by side to verify, like as if like, well, that's I mean, if that's not my eyes, and yeah. Because, and then like, yeah, and like <laughs> <laughs> Ross is like. Put it away. Yeah. Put it back. Yeah, he's like, oh, you don't need this. It's fine. You know? Robber, 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 robber. He's just pissy the whole time. And he doesn't get the gravity of this situation no. at all. He just like, it doesn't matter to him. It's just like he's losing the guys. Like, he's losing control of the men. Yeah. Like, you can see Carter. He's he's still playing with the ball of string over there. But he's he's obviously upset, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, because, like, they, he has, like, the most, not delayed reaction, but, like, 
it's like this, like, I don't know how to describe his reaction. He's like, oh, because they, they leave. And he's like, that was us in there. Maybe we should bury. And Ross is like, shut up. That's not us. We're alive. Like, look at us. We're alive. We don't know what's going on, which, you know, to be fair, they're landing on an alien planet. They don't know. Like, it's it's the far off future of 1997. The space travel's a thing. You know, they all have cool jumpsuits. I don't know. Like, for him to be immediately be like, we don't know what's up. I can sympathize with that notion of like, we don't have all the details. This could be a trap or something, you know, but Carter's like, should we bury ourselves? Like he's already just like, like just like Looney tunes, you know, Yeah, you can and, see he's losing oh, reality yeah. a little bit more and more. Yeah. Um, so, but Ross is like adamant. There's a logical explanation. So they go back to their ship. They try their communications repeatedly. Like there's like two different things. It's like, you know, Hey, try the FM band. Try the AM band. Try the shortwave. See if there's any space truckers out there or whatever they do. It's like, like he's like, and Mason's like, you know, this isn't going to work. He's like, try it again. And he's like, you know, use the teletype. Use the, you know, use the Morse code. Like he keeps going on to different Send things. Send smoke signals. Like try MySpace. You know, that's yeah. 1997. Maybe there, maybe Tom will talk to us. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, so communications are down suddenly. Um, like Ross is being snippy. Mason's being confrontational. And I wrote, car, I wrote Ross is snippy. Mason's confrontational. Um, uh, I put cart. That's not his name. It's, um, what's his name? The other guy. It's a uh, Carter. I wrote Carter's just being an idiot. Like, so that's all that's going on this entire time. And then, so Ross mentions like, there's a possibility of time travel, which the way he brings it up, like remember in training when time travel could have been a thing. And they're like, yeah, that's just a theory. <laughs> Like, why was that taught in training then? Like, yeah, it's, it's such a weird theory to be bringing up. And honestly, it's like it, it's just shows like his his lack of ability to try to like control the situation by what he's been doing. And he's yeah. like, let me try to explain us away in some other fashion I mean, now. If, if the notion of like the further you travel away from Earth, there is the possibility of like due to like you know, and I I'm not smart enough to get into this. Like, watch Interstellar; they'll deal with all this stuff where it's like time gets weird. So it is possible that your perception of time and your aging may be very much different than when you come back to earth. And that's, that's fair. But the way he describes it, like his explanation is maybe we landed here, but this is like our potential future self. And again, that's not a unacceptable answer because you literally saw a crash ship. That's yours with you in it. But he just accepts it as fact. And so his logic is, if we don't go up, there's no possibility. Of it's crashing. not going to happen. So he's like, we'll just live here. This is our home now. <laughs> and the other two guys are like, uh, yeah, maybe you're able to do that because you've got no one. Which I think is important that they pointed out that he yeah. had nobody. Yeah. Uh, but they have family or like other things. He's like, he has nobody. And then it's like, he's like, no, we're going to we're going to stay on the ground. We're not going to go up. And then it's like, but basically they, they're saying, well, because he does the math. He's like, we could stay like a low power. And he's like, and then like uh, Carter's like, well, the temperature's dropping. It's going to suck our resources. And then we're also going to run out of food. And Ross is like, we'll live off the land. He's like, we don't even know what's out there. It's like, you know, like for all we know, it could just be rutabaga. Who like, who wants rutabaga all the time? Who know, you know, space rutabaga or, or another space spinach, space spinach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, look at all this. It's this kale as far as the eye can see. Well, man, I guess we're going to die. Like, but, yeah. <laughs> I can't deal with the consistency. You know, yeah. But yeah, because uh, like the temperature is dropping rapidly because they were just out there moments before that. Yeah. And Carter's like, 
dude, it's 13 below already, and it's only twilight. Yeah, so that's like that's going to suck up the resources. They got to make a decision, right? Um, which I, I like that kind of. It's not a ticking clock in this. Well, I guess it's the sense of like you can't you can't hold this position forever. You're going to be forced into a decision, right? But then the episode kind of takes that out of your hands anyway, because once they're brought up with this. Uh, we have a bit where like Carter's like kind of having this moment of like, you know, like he's falling apart and he puts his hands over his face. And this, this is where the episode goes where I wasn't expecting it. He immediately pulls his hands back away from his face. He's on a road, a road to peaceful Valley. I just want to point that That's out. It, it looked, it looked <laughs> no, just like it's, it. literally, okay. it's literally the same road. We talked about that. And, um, uh, you know, a uh, shadow of the valley. That's they shot this scene on the same roadway. I, I, I thought yeah. it was. Too. Yeah, and I was just like, I'm looking for the sign. Like, Where's the sheepdog? Is he okay? You know, like, <laughs> it's like get one of those weird food machines. You guys will be fine. Yeah. It can make guns too. Replicate you know, like, food. Yeah, like you won't have to eat the space ham finish. sandwich. You know, you're fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So then, as he's on this roadway, uh, uh, Carter is approached by like a, a, someone he knows who's like as a like dressed as a hunt, like out hunting. It's like talking to him. It's like, oh, you're back early. And there's a funny exchange of like, you, you, it's like you, like, you know, you NASA guys travel pretty weird. Like basically like how you back on earth so fast. And he's then Carter's kind of discombobulated, but he realizes that he gets to go see his wife. And as he's riding down the road, he's confronted with another, like another person, like the older woman, like, oh, good to see you. And Carter runs to his house and tries to find his wife and you find some funeral, funeral type clothes, like a black veil. Like the, yeah. Gloves. It's like. Yeah, the like, widow's starter kit. Yeah, the widow starter kit. Yes, yeah. yes, that's it. Uh, all, all it needs is just like you know a half half drunk martini there, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and like a long cigarette. You know, that's yeah. what it needs. Um, so he, but he also finds like a computer printout, which I love that it's a future printout. So it has like the um, the paper on the sides with the hole punch. Like what do you, what do you, what do you call that paper now? I forget what they even call it now. It's nineteen ninety seven, which that could still exist then. Like it's it's that um. It's that weird printer paper. Yeah, you know, I, yeah I know yeah. what you're talking about. I used to but, work at an office supply store. Yeah, so. but it has, it's almost like a telegram. It's like, uh, from the Space Association, we regret to inform you, your husband, who is an idiot, by the way, has died in the space accident. Yeah. And he's like, <gasps> and then he gets pulled back to the now, like to, to the ship. And I did not expect the episode to go there. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was really kind of like a, a different thing that I was expecting. I didn't expect like him just to like, phase to this new yeah. new world almost and it made me think of like event horizon a yeah, little bit. Yeah. yeah that's a good call yeah where I, it's I like you know they're like they're stranded and they're like 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 shit's messed up and it's like in this instance you're given what you want versus event horizon where it's like eh, see i was things I was, are screwed up i'm starting to think like at this point when i'm watching it that it's space madness like there's just they're starting yeah. like they're they're cracking the yeah. veneer is cracking they're all going and they're going to lose their minds at some point, which is not a bad thought considering the situation. Right. So then, uh, so then like a Ross brings him back and was like, Hey, you know, you were here. Like you didn't actually use the ship. And then they turn around. At, there was a confrontation with Mason. Mason goes to go sleep in the space bunk, you know, yeah. like it, it's literally space camp. <laughs> space He's like, camp. So go eat your space s'mores and do your space crafts. It's fine. Go make your macrame. You know, it's fine. You know, space macrame. Um, and then they turn around and Mason's gone. Like you see an indentation of the pillow. He's gone. And that's like, it, it, what we find out is like, you see Mason waking up by a pond, like fishing. And then his daughter who would one day grow up to shoot a weightlifter, uh, finds him 
and she's you know she's like oh daddy what's going on and the, and he you see him just like overcome with emotion and like again credit to the actor like i i buy it and here's a little bit of trivia um the actor uh, artemis uh, his actual name is um martin um ross martin is that it uh i have it here ross martin yeah. Uh, he actually talked about that he pulled from the fact that he was actually going through like a strained marriage at that time and he was kept away from his kids. So like when he sees his daughter Oh, he's here, tapping into that emotion. And it's like, you know, like do what you got to do, like method, but you could like, there's real emotion here. And he's like, he's just overcome. It's just, it just felt weird to me. He goes over, he like kisses her, like not on the lips, but like on the side. And I'm like, but he has like, he's been like in space forever. I don't know. Like what's he, ugh, you know, it just felt weird to me. Like what's he, what's he taste like? What's what, what taste do you have from being in space forever? Space gingivitis. Ugh, you ugh. know, space avitis. Space avitis. <laughs> uh, but he, he, but he kisses her and he's so like overcome. And then she's like, oh, but mom's made like a, like a picnic lunch. Let's just go do that. And he goes over to her and he goes, kisses his wife. Um, and that's like, you know, that's also a powerful moment. And she's like, what are you, like, what's going on? Like, why are you so excited about all this? And that's like this nice, sweet moment. Like, it's only fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's the whole bit where she's like, were you asleep? Are you still asleep? He's like, I don't want to wake up. And it's like, you you buy his genuine wanting of being there. Um, and it's, it's this interesting situation. What did you think of Ross... Jack Klugman walking out of the weeds. Yeah, what, <laughs> it was what? amazing. That's probably my favorite part of the episode. It's it's so funny because like I just like I see him and I was like, so is he in the dream with him, or like I, it was hard for me to try to explain. I kind of believe it's doing. Mason's way of seeing him yeah, in this manifest. And yeah, like I because because uh, Ross is like, this isn't real. Come with me. Yeah. And so Mason seeing him walk through the weeds. That's the only way I can justify that. Because I feel like the rest of the episode doesn't necessarily support that, but it's a striking image. It's very striking. I almost wish that they would have kept that consistent, though. Yeah. Like with Carter's, uh, like illusion, he <laughs> would have walked in. Like, like Carter's looking in the bedroom, then he's here, and then Jack Clubman walks out of the bathroom. He's like, Carter, we gotta go. <laughs> or he's wearing the black veil. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like zipping up his fly. <laughs> I don't know. That. Oh, no, no. <laughs> like he sparks up a cigarette. He's like, this isn't real. You know, like, like time to go. And dude. then you hear dun, 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 dun. Like, you know, you hear the odd couple theme. It'd be great. Anyway. Um, so, because there's a third thing that should have happened in this episode. And we'll talk about it in a second. So, um, they get into a, they get into a fight. Uh, and uh, Ross kind of overpowers him, so I want to write easily. I, I, I wrote in my notes uh, more like Jack Slugman, <laughs> and then I had the note, "Am I right?" <laughs> like Mason was like tempting him like throughout this entire yeah. episode, uh, and when uh, like everything goes down, you're like, "What a wuss!" <laughs> he goes down pretty quick, yeah. Yeah. So then. Ross now has in his head that there's like these aliens that are not like physically strong, but they're capable of doing mental projections. They're behind everything. And so now Ross is now has his head that he wants to actually like go up. Right. Well, right before that, though, when he gets Mason back into reality, he pulls 
uh, that's yeah. They yeah. post a clipping from his pocket, and it says that his wife and his, and his child had actually died in a car accident. But the, the article is like you know like astronauts' wife and daughter, or like spaceman's wife and daughter. It's like they have names. That's yeah. like you know. But yeah, so Mason's kept that in like his breast pocket, like um, and he know so he knows his wife and daughter are gone, and now the audience, like the viewers, know that like this is not possible, right? Which is a little different than Carter's, where he didn't see his wife. Which is okay. I'm okay with that being kind of like you know a little skewed. And that makes me uh, makes me remember actually uh, another thing that we didn't talk about was uh, the guy that he met on the road, Kramer. Oh, and the older woman too were supposedly dead. Yeah, the yeah. Kramer died in like a hunting accident. So it's like it's starting to slowly unfold something more, more sinister in some sense of what's really going on. But yeah, but yeah. So um, Ross decides, you know what? Let's take a let's take a chance here and let's try to get out. And get away from this planet. Something weird's going on. He thinks the alien, uh, like the aliens, if they want to show this wreck ship, then they're going to try to keep us here. They're also going to try to scare off all other like Earthlings or whatever. Right. And then like Mason's like, but you don't, you didn't believe this before. And he was like, I believe it now. Which, um, two things about that. One, I, I think it's wishy washy in terms of plotting for the character. But two. I'm not against somebody if they're brought new facts, changing their outlook, but he wasn't brought new facts. Like, but he was brought the notion of like two of his crew members are being like, like delusional. And he says it's a delusion. He's like, but like Carter's like, but we didn't see Mason. He's like, just because we didn't see him doesn't mean he wasn't here. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> like the whole notion of like, well, I guess that's, I guess that's a statement, you know, like, yeah. I guess Mason was invisible. Like, <laughs> all of this. And another momentary lapse in this writing is, uh, uh, Carter was there. He was looking right at Carter as he's like imagining the world yeah. that he was in. Yeah. Mason but, disappeared. But Mason was like, and everyone's like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Romulan cloaking device is yeah. what happened. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, it was just, all right, cool. Uh, again, I don't disagree with the idea. I don't disagree with Matheson's like thought process with this in terms of writing it. Again, this is also like, you know, early sixties. So some of this kind of like, you talk about space madness and some of this, like there's a lot of psychological things in here that I like a great deal, you right. know? Uh, but I just feel like some of it was fumbled. And I, I, I think that as a showrunner with like, was a Hirschman was the producer and I know Sterling didn't have as much input with this. I I'm, I think that with as a teleplay, which Matheson wrote, if someone would have just taken another pass at this, they probably could have like ironed out the edges of some right. of this. Right, taking care of those in- inconsistencies. Yeah, that uh, I, at least I thought that there were. I mean, there's some amazing ideas in this episode, but there's some of the stuff that's like, yeah, a second pass, of this probably would have benefited. Right, you know. So uh, anyway, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. So then. Uh, they, they, so Ross is convinced to go up. Mason's actually kind of on board for this too. Carter just wants to go back to, you know, peaceful Valley. You yeah. Know? And yeah. Well, he also says that to Ross that, so this is something you're on board with. I'm not. And he pulls yeah. a gun and he, pulls- Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, he, yeah. He, and then even Ross is like, not Ross, but Mason's like, this isn't the way right. he talks him out of it. But then it shows how far along Carter's is like, I'm going to pull a space gun on you guys, you know? Yeah. But yeah. he's quickly subdued by their words like like yeah. no no we should just do this here's like, your ball ooh. of yarn he's like oh i forgot about that it's ooh. like yeah yeah 
<laughs> Here's your paid by numbers. He's like, I was paid by numbers. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so then they go. Finish like, your coloring book. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, I was filling this in. He, he almost reminds me of uh, of Bill Faberbakey from like Coach, who was who was Patrick Star on yeah, SpongeBob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost feels me like he's like, oh, guess we're okay now. Like I yeah. feel like because he, he has that look on his face sometimes where it's like, oh. We're in a spaceship. We're good. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're we're well right now. Yeah. We're good. Um, you know, SpongeBob is going to tell us it's fine. All right. So anyway, <laughs> um, so they try to leave Bikini Bottom. They're, they're going to lift off. Uh, and so, uh, so Ross wants to go up because uh, he wants to prove that this is, he's now right. And like the, 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 the practical effect of the, of the actual UFO lifting off, not you, I keep using the word UFO. It's a saucer. It's, a saucer, it's not yeah. unidentified. U.S. saucer. Yeah. You, you, so, um, the USFO, uh, and it looks pretty good. Like it looks, it looks cheesy fifties, but you see like the flame trail, you see like the dust blowing off. Yeah. Uh, I was reading some notes about the episode that like, as they're trying to, because that sequence of the landing, uh, and of the takeoff was actually shot for the episode. There's a lot of times where they'll use borrowed footage and images from other films. This was actually created for this episode. And I guess Hirschman was like, I love it. Give me more dust. Give me more kick out, like from everything. Like, give me more believability. Cause they, cause they said that like, if this isn't believable, the episode isn't. And I will give them credit. Like, is it cheesy for us looking at it now? 50 years later? Sure. It doesn't look bad. No, it, no, I, I, yeah. I love miniatures. I think that it's, yeah. it's such a lost art. Uh, I love like practical effects. Yeah, it's there's such there, there's I don't know there's just something magical about what we were able to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and in this it's like yeah it's a UFO lifting off with like a flame trail. Yeah. It's like it doesn't make physical sense how it lifts off, but you buy it yeah. like it. But it works enough. Yeah, like I thought it was I thought it was solid. And, so and, then yeah, and there was some asshat that would, like put his uh, criticism on the uh, internet about where well, you can see the strings. I didn't really see Not any really, strings. No. Yeah, no, I, I was like, too. I was, I was too busy watching the, the the flames jetting out and like the dust kicking up and yeah. like because there would be a significant amount of thrust to get this thing back like airborne, right? Yeah, so, and to get out of the atmosphere yeah, of the planet. Yeah, like, and what's and a think, gravity pull? You know, sure. And I, I thought that was great. So then, the moment they get to like once they break free of this planet's gravity, Ross is like, "All right, I proved my point. We're going back down." And I'm like why yeah i felt like <laughs> what the hell was the point of that because i almost thought the episode was going to end with him proving that like there was a presence and they, this was a siren song i know like it, yeah especially after all of that all of that drama that they had played out and like how everybody seemed so shook by the events that all right let's get out of here let's just gather ourselves we'll go to a different planet we'll just write this one off because some wacky shit is going down. Yeah. You know? Well, there's, there's an early season one episode uh, called elegy that was written by Charles Beaumont, where you had uh, a bunch of uh, guys landing on a, like an asteroid or something. They didn't realize. And they end up in like a small town and you find out it's actually basically like, um, like a cemetery. Yeah. And I remember and, this one, but they're all given like, like their fantasy, but they're all like, like embalmed basically in the fantasy they want. It's like, I thought this was going to be a twist on that of like, we were giving you what you wanted, but you saw through it and you could get out because Ross is the one that actually kind of snipped it out. Yeah. But that's not where we're going with this. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's kind of, I was like, Oh, this is going to kind of turn like elegy on its head a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, which if you guys not watch elegy, which you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you have, 
go back and rewatch it. If you've not watched it, go back and watch it. It's a great episode. Yeah, but, make sure that you listen to the commentary uh, that we that the the cast did on it. It's really fun. Uh, I think that you guys will enjoy oh, that. It was it was a wonderful episode. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I thought we were going with this, or like a, kind of a variant of it, uh, which I guess in the way we kind of are. It's just not where I thought we'd land. No pun intended. So then. Uh, Ross is like, now that we're up, we're going back down. And this is my favorite part of the episode because as he goes to land, um, uh, Carter is like, no. And he goes and grabs like the control sticks and the, the, you get the idea that the ship pitches to like the left and it tilts. Yeah. But you know, the cast can't do that. They're just so, emoting as best so as So it becomes the can. Star Trek moment of like, oh, like the shields are going down and the, the, the actor that plays Carter, I, I just, there's, because of the, the the format that we're watching this in on um, Hulu or CBS uh, All Access, I can't take screenshots or make gifts because, you know, for whatever reason, they're locking down the content. Who'd have thought? His face is amazing through all of this. Like, they're all, like, leaning to the left. It's like, you can tell that the, they take the camera and turn it to, like, a Dutch corner. Yeah. They all sell the hell out of it. But it's, it's I mean, it's supposed to be a serious moment, and I will give it its, its gravity. Again, no pun intended taken away just knowing that there's actors on a soundstage acting this out it's amazing yeah it's great i mean it's like it's traditional like uh theater work yeah that they're doing it's so great and, and like carter's but like but like carter's carter is just like so like <laughs> he's dude he's killing it like if you if you know anything about pantera their vulgar display of power album cover they catch a guy like in the instant that he's getting punched in the face. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Like his face vulgar is, display of like immediately pitching to the left. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's just emoting the hell out of it. It's like, and even yeah. when they were taking off from oh. the planet, like his face is like awesome. He has like 15 chins. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I wrote my notes here. I love knowing that the actors had to Star Trek the shit out of that. Like yeah. that's pretty much what it was. So they land on the planet. Ross is like strutting around confident that now because they've, they figured out the trap that the crash ship is gone. Like it's like they've broken the spell the the power is now gone Yeah, and he lands. And then um, like Mason and Carter's like, well, like, cause he, cause Ross goes and opens the one window where they saw the ship and he's like, like, they're like, but can we check the other, other windows? And so Ross walks around like, confidently opening all the other windows and he gets the like the, the fourth one he's got a strut to him too yeah, yeah i love yeah, that yeah um you know and uh so like <laughs> he opens the last window and he's like oh shit like, there's <laughs> there's the crash ship we're like why is this still here i'm just waiting for like the toilet flush then right like oh, oh no burp, 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 you know? <laughs> so mason mason's like all right this is what's going on You've been denying this the entire time. We're dead. And he and Ross is like, no, there has to be an explanation. And Carter's like, no, let us go. We're dead. Let us go. Let us go. We're all dead. We know what happened. We crashed on this planet. We're dead. And so then the episode kind of ends with like Serling implying that there's kind of like this loop of them finding themselves not realizing that they're dead. It's a purgitude kind of kind, thing. And then, because at the end, there's the last, there's the last bit of dialogue calling the 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 spaceship a flying, a space flying Dutchman. Yeah, you know, um, you know, and and the whole thing is that Ross is too set in his ways to to see it for what it is, and this is going to cause this to go on for eternity. Um, I was not expecting the episode to end up this way. Right. I'll just give it that. Yeah, it, it, like the implications are is that his will is so powerful that it, it is able to pretty much imprisoned their spirit like yeah and just 
put them in that purgative where they're constantly going, we're going to do it again. We're going to go over it again. That's what he keeps on saying. We're going to go over it again. Yeah. yeah. And I was not expecting the episode to kind of end up with him, with everything kind of be hung upon his inability to believe. Right. So I will say this. Um, like... <laughs> With all the episodes we've seen so far in season four, it, as much as like he's alive, I think it's still a standout. This one was good. I just feel like it still also kind of like went on a little too long, but I don't know where exactly I take some of the stuff out with it. It's weird because it does breathe enough, but it still feels like it just goes. There's a lot of like like of them over and over again, like arguing and things. Uh, but it, I think it does benefit better from my longer runtime. I don't know if it benefited from this runtime. I'll say that. I liked this episode. I think I ended up liking it more for what it was trying to do versus actually what it was. I'll just, I don't, it's a weird thing to say. No, I like, can, I can see that. I, I think that the, uh, what it, the groundwork that it was laying, uh, really gave me something that if this was even put into a, like a few, a feature length film that there could be enough bones here to build on it. I think that it could be, yeah. You know, I think it's an interesting concept and I love the idea, like the spin of purgitude. Like that, I think that's such an interesting idea. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I liked it. It's just, I just kind of, I, I kind of wish if this is me rewriting the episode that like they go up, right. Mm. And they, they break free. And as they're flying away, I would love it for Mason to be like, Hey Ross, this isn't real. And then realize that like his fantasy is that they escaped. Right. And then to be, cause he doesn't have anybody on earth, but like, you know, Mason and Carter have people that they've cared about, but his one way out is like escaping, but to be like, Hey, this isn't happening. And then he just wake, he just comes back to it. And he's still on the ship. I think that'd be way more powerful because it's already set up through the whole episode. He's using logic and reason to escape. Wouldn't it be better? Like they go and they, they land and they're like, congratulations, you're right. And then it's like, he, he goes like to walk in to greet, like, you know, the space president or whatever. He ends up right back on the ship. How amazing would that have been as like a screw you ending? Yeah, I mean, if they could have like trimmed some of the scenes and then had something like that play oh. out, it would that would have been because I think it kind of comes to the same point, you yeah. know, like you're not getting out, you've died on this planet. I think that would have been great. Like, I just yeah, because you know. he didn't have a story, and it, like that could have been oh, yeah, the inevitable for him. To, his fantasy is that he was right, right, and then for someone to be like, wake up, Cap- oh. it, it encapsulates that yeah. way better. I, yeah, that would have been that would have been a good rewrite. That's just like I said. I always go back and rewrite some of this stuff. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you have any other notes about the episode. I have some, I have some trivia. Yeah, I, um, I'm good on the uh, yeah. the episode itself. Okay, uh, so I, like I mentioned, Ross Martin used his real life emotion, like with his like his current life, to deal with him with his daughter. Literally, like, and the daughter would go on to shoot a bodybuilder. I just want to point that, point that out. But she was put parole, so you know the, the guy was an asshole. It's fine. Uh, not not that he was an asshole. That wasn't fine, but. It all, it all worked out. I'll just say that. Not the right words. Um, the model of the hovering spaceship was uh, the C-57D cruiser, a leftover prop from uh, Forbidden Planet. Um, the crash ship was a painted model and set, so that was cool. The prop was also used. The, the, the actual spaceship was used in the Monsters Duo on Maple Street and Third from the Sun. Um, so that's there's a lot of stuff from Forbidden Planet that shows up in the series. Makes sense. Yeah, it, well, especially like because like it, this stuff is laying around. What the hell else I can yeah, do with it? Yeah, I mean it? it's there, and there's a lot of like they use a lot of different like 
sets and locations if it's there, just use it, right? Right. Uh, a crew member shirt, which I just want to point out, like the pin that they had, that that cool like comet pin. Yeah. That's that was cool. I want one of those. I want one of those insignia pins. Those are neat. I put it on my vest. Oh, it would be great because it looks like an enamel pin. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was awesome. We I love those. Yeah. Um, did they make those? No, I said we oh, can they make should. Them. My, we my should friend, make them, my yeah. friend does enamel stuff. That so. would be great. I would, I, yeah. There you guys. I don't know what color we would use. Probably just red and brass, like black brass. and white. Black and white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> black and gray. Yeah. Black and gray. Uh, yeah. But you guys want this? Thing? It's weird, but just wear it. It's fine. Uh, crew member shirt that was also used on Thursday we leave from home, which we've not seen yet, uh, was um, uh, offered at au- auction in 2015. Uh, estimated value of 1000 to 1500 with a winning bid of 1600 by a private collector. So one of the shirts actually sold for $1,600. Uh, I talked about the score already. Um, this is just, I hate how IMDb and Wikipedia will come, like they'll verify this trivia that doesn't mean anything, but I just want to point this out because it's just so dumb. Of the three main actors, Jack Klugman was the only one to live to see 1997. Like, who cares? Yeah, I, I saw that note too. I was like, like great. I put it down just because it was the hell like, of it. all right, cool. Uh, Richard Matheson was really pleased with the episode. Uh, he let Rod know it. Uh, Matheson had had some issues regarding quality of production and translation of his scripts previously on the show. Um, th- there was the episode back in season three. It was um, the one with Buster Keaton. It was called, uh, oh, oh, shoot. It was the Time Helmet episode. I forget the name of it now. Uh, he did. He was frustrated with how that got translated. There's some other stuff that he felt like there wasn't money put into it. So he was happy to tell Rod, like, I feel like this one was handled well, which is funny because Sterling was not, really that involved at this point. Um, there's also another episode in season three called little girl lost. That was a Matheson script that was handled really well. And Rod actually made a point to get like, we need Bernard Herman to make the score. We got to do all this stuff. He liked Matheson as creator and wanted to keep him around. So then, uh, Rod wrote back saying, Hey, this is the great episode. Like, you know, really uh, uh, what he called it. Um, he always referred to it as like a cracker of a tail or whatever. Like it just really popped off. Like basically, oh, okay. you know, and he mentioned uh, to Matheson, he's like, he heard a rumor at that point that season five would be come back to a half hour format. And he's like, I hope you could come back for that. So he wanted to keep Matheson involved, which we'll find season five. We got that terror 20,000 feet. We have steel. We have other Matheson stuff coming. It's going to so, be fun, man. Yeah. So I, I, the fact that he was like, no, no, please stick around. It's going to be great. And I'm glad that you're happy with this episode. Well, and the caliber of writing that he he was able to bring to the table. It's like, I don't know how many other writers that they had brought back as often as him to really bring forward some really bangers of like, episodes. Like the, the Pantheon, when you go to like, and, and maybe I'll be proved later with like season, the rest of season four and season five. The Pantheon is Serling because he wrote the bulk of the episodes in terms of his contract. You have, uh, um, um, we just talked about him. Uh, we have Matheson. We have, um, oh, shoot. I just I just said his name earlier in the episode. Uh, we also have George Clayton Johnson. Uh, we also have, um, oh, sh- shoot. Um, <laughs> I Sorry, guys. I've been drinking a little bit because uh, that's what I do here. Charles uh, Belmont. Charles Beaumont. I go. always get him and George Clayton Johnson mixed up, and that's not accurate. Uh, you know, Beaumont. So that's the Pantheon. And then we have a guy next week we're going to talk about, uh, Earl Hamner Jr. Like That's like your your main people that right. have written for the Twilight Contributed Zone. Contributed as yeah. much as they did. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you want to keep like, – like you get the, the feeling – so – uh, George, not George Clayton Johnson, Charles Beaumont would always bring the weird yeah. and interesting. Matheson would generally ground his stories in science fiction and like reality. 
Like this one kind of like it was sci-fi and then it kind of wandered into more of the spiritual and that's fine. Like, but you'd always kind of get that grounding. And I think that Sterling appreciated that you could kind of lean on the different aspects because the twilight zone just wasn't one thing. You right. Know? So. The format was like a, a, like a open, open playing field for pretty much whatever the hell you wanted to do with it. I mean, even, you know, you know, he, he, Rod brought a lot of different scripts to the table too, that didn't necessarily translate to be science fiction or anything like that in nature either. So it's like, yeah, he had some social things he brought yeah. in and it's like, yeah. So it was like, so I, I, I adore Matheson. Like I do. And I know we talked about mute, not being very good. Like, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It was not the, the best, but I, there's a lot of Matheson. I, I love a great deal. And like, and, and because he shaped like Stephen King, which is like one of my heroes, like you, you, and the fact that they were contemporaries for a very long time, like you, you got to respect that. And like, and this episode isn't bad. Uh, it, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like in the sense of like, you have an interesting conflict, you have an interesting setup. And then halfway through it inter- introduces the notion of like, these guys are being tempted by like their previous lives. Um, I just, I, I liked it. I just, I, I just feel like, there could have been some tweaking to make this just like amazing. I agree. I, yeah. I mean, this is not, this is definitely not like a bad episode. Oh, no, not opinion. at all. Like, no. I, th- I just think that there, like you said, some tweaking, some little fine tuning yeah. that really could have made the storyline a lot smoother and a lot more like put together. Um, I just see, I just see the flaws in it and I know it could be even stronger, but that's, that's just my. Yeah, my opinion. Just you know? watch Event Horizon. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that's what I gotta say Space about that. Space madness. So. Space madness. All right, let's just uh let's just figure out where the twist is. If the twist is that the little girl shot a bodybuilder, <laughs> you know, that's a five. That was a five. Yeah. It's a five. If the twist is that uh Ross would kind of be like a prisoner of his own logic or his own unbelief, I didn't see that coming. Uh, I don't know if I give that a five. I would probably give it like a three or a four, so like a three and a half type of thing. I don't know where I land, but if the twist is that versus they've been dead the entire time, which I kind of felt like that was sniffed out from the beginning because you literally see their dead bodies. Yeah, and I I agree with that part of what you just said there. Mm-hmm. The th- the body situation and that like that wasn't that big of a like a jarring situation, I guess because it kind of was playing out that way as soon as you saw the ship was similar to their ship. There was going to be an inevitable thing. Right. Right. Like, but uh, yeah. So the overall outcome of the episode, I would say it's a approximately a four for me. Okay. Fair enough. I wish I, I wish I felt like that something played differently about this for me, but I don't think it would have changed like how the, the twist was for me. Like yeah, the, which, the criticisms the, the, I had, which again, the twist doesn't negate how we like, it doesn't dic- sorry, negate's not the right word. It doesn't dictate how we feel about the episode. Right. I thought death ship was cool. I, I thought this was an interesting idea. Uh, you know, it's just, again, coming into like 51 minutes, you're just like, ugh, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a commitment. Right? right. So, but like Jack Klugman's great. Like all the actors are great. I just felt like Carter as a character was just like pinballing all over the place. I don't blame the actor, but it was just like, why are you even here other than to show that you're going to walk on a country road and be harassed by a hunter, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked it. I, I yeah, I dug yeah. it too. I think that, uh, I think it was a good episode. I, th- I definitely, I don't want to say the strongest episode of this season so far, but one of the stronger ones, honestly. Well, I mean, of 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 the six, when we're a third of the way through, yes, yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure, yeah. 
So yeah, let's go do it for our talk about Death Ship. Uh, you guys can find us on our Facebook page. It's uh, it's uh, uh, Strange Highways. You can uh, email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please find us on wherever you get your podcasts, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Podbean, Stitcher, uh, Podcatcher, um, Aldi's. I don't know. Wherever you get your podcast, uh, you know, Foot Locker. I don't know where you get your podcast. If you can find it, rate and review us. That'd be greatly appreciated uh, because then that would also let other people know about the show and that would spread it out further. And if you like the show and you like what we do, you know, if you already listen to podcasts, like I know I listen to a number of podcasts just, and I always want to tell everybody about the things I listen to. Maybe recommend it. Like, you know, cause we already have three seasons on Netflix and it's like, just if you like the show and you know, people are into weird things. Recommended. Spread, yeah, spread the word. Tell people about something that might pique their interest. I mean, I feel like we give a, a wide net when it comes to information and that and really try to get get engaged here with conversation more than anything else. So yeah, and, and if there's invite. if there's an anthology thing for us to cover, let us know. We'll we'll, we'll consider it for sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Come, come talk to us, people. Yeah, absolutely. Give us some love. I, I just think the more the merrier. So if more people are on board, the more fun we'll have, right? Yeah. Like I think it's just it's been a it's been a hoot, you know. Uh so using the phrase it's been a hoot what feels like a like colloquialism. Like people make fun of me for saying it's a hoot because I feel like it's a, like an old timey phrase and I don't mean that. Yeah. I don't know what else it's like what else you say? Ah, that's a that's a that's a cracker. Like uh, it feels like that's what Rod Sterling would say, but like that that's a that's a weird thing to say now in twenty twenty or 1997 in the future. Mm. Uh, that, so, uh, so next episode is uh, called Jess Bell, and I'll read uh, the teaser for this. Uh, next week, we'll delve into the real... Uh, sorry, it's probably Realm, so I tripped over this. Uh, next week, we'll delve into the realm of American folklore and through the offices of a fine writer named Earl Hamner Jr. We pursue a little witchcraft to bring you a story called Jess Bell. This exercise in horror... And Talisman stars Anne Francis and James Best, which we've seen James Best a couple times on the series already, so we'll talk about him again. Uh, Earl Hamner Jr., I have a, a, um, a complicated relationship with so far as a writer for The Twilight Zone. So mm. I'm not gonna, I, I don't want to ruin your expectation, Terry, but um, so far he has not impressed me <laughs> as a writer. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm already, my interest is peak. You said horror. Yeah, it's folk folklore, and I. So if you guys are watching these episodes on uh, CBS All Access, they actually give like the Serling teaser. So the stuff he like I just read out loud. They show on at the end of the episode, and they show a segment from the episode itself. There's literally a point where I see like a cougar or a mountain lion puffing to smoke, and everyone's like, "It's a witch!" Like I don't know what's going on. It's going to get weird, and I cannot wait to talk about it. So, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. I uh, hope you guys enjoy our talk about Death Ship. In the meantime, have a good week. And uh, I guess if you find your dead selves, um, I don't know, um, I guess to stay back in the past and go hunting or I don't know. I got nothing. Don't succumb to space madness. Just for lunch. <laughs> My goodness, so emotional over a little fried chicken. <laughs>